potential quality. Knicks go! A superstar wins the Breeders' Cup Classic! Larry Colmas on NBC last year at Del Mar as Knicks go takes down the $6 million Breeders' Cup Classic. No Knicks go this year, but certainly a big name to talk about, and we'll get to all of that. The Breeders' Cup weekend is finally upon us. Thousands of races watched, dozens of pages of past performances printed, and it's finally just about time to kick things off at Keeneland in Lexington, Kentucky for the second time in three years. And uh, let's talk about it. 14 races on tap, and uh, one of our favorite guests on the podcast, Joe Christofek. Joe, how are you, my man? I'm good, man. It's uh been a little bit uh, on the, the busy side with Churchill Racing opening day this past Sunday. The pre-entries for Breeders' Cup being drawn last Wednesday. The draw this past Monday. We raced to Churchill Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, I'm not going to Keeneland. I know it's uh, basically only an hour ride from where I live in uh, Middletown, Louisville, uh, Kentucky. But I'm looking forward to taking in the proceedings from uh, my couch and uh, enjoying and uh, really focusing on the wagering. Not only the Breeders' Cup races, both A. Brady, but the, the undercard races are tremendous, and Mother Nature is really going to shine upon uh, Lexington. The weather's going to be in the mid-70s, fast and firm, and uh, some potentially uh, legendary performances on tap. Any time the Breeders' Cup comes east of the Mississippi – I can't help but think of, what was it, like 07 or 08, that Breeders' Cup at Monmouth where the weather was just absolutely horrible. It's 07. like It was 07, yeah. It's like, why do you ever leave the state of California if, you, if you're the Breeders' Cup? But, you know, obviously a historic well, here, venue like quick, Churchill. I'll tell you a story about that real quick. Yeah. So I was on the notes team. I got off the plane that Sunday. It was absolutely beautiful. And literally, it was absolutely beautiful. The next day when I got on the plane to go home, but that was a miserable, absolutely miserable Breeders' Cup. And I feel bad for Mama because it's a beautiful fan-friendly track, very similar to Arlington Park. Uh, you know, both in their heyday with the with the, you know, the park and the family type atmosphere to it. And uh, right there down by the Jersey Shore. But uh, man, yeah, Curlin ran the fastest Breeders' Cup Classic ever that year. And uh he did it over very, very sloppy conditions. Well, we might see another record fall this year in, in this year's Classic, but we'll, we'll get to that. I, I do want to touch on all 14 races at least a little bit because um, I, I think, you know, this year's, this year's card as a whole is as wide open as I can remember in recent Breeders' Cups. It seems there's been, you know, at least three races on, you know, Friday and Saturday's card in the past where there's been odds-on favorites. It's almost not even worth betting on. Uh, but I think this year's races are are much more wide open, much more interesting. And, um, you know, you, you could be walking away with a lot of money, um, you know, come Saturday afternoon. Um, I wanted to start, though, Joe. Uh, we happened to be at Hawthorne on Sunday, uh, which was Churchill's opening day. And um, it was after, I think, the, the, uh, the two-year-old race where I think the horse was two fills, where uh, you were uh, in the uh, winter circle with Jareth uh, in a Mandalorian costume. Did I see that right? Oh, you did. Yeah, <laughs> a big fan. Um, always since I was a kid of just Star Wars in general, big fan of the Mandalorian. And uh, I'm a team player, man. It was Halloween, <laughs> trick or treat at the track, and uh, yeah, I was I was Mandalorian. And man, Jareth was super excited when I handed him the Grogu doll. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get it back, but I just think the excitement of uh, winning his first 
stake race at Churchill Downs, a career highlight for a guy who's done really well in Chicago mm -hmm. for a lot of years. And most recently, this past winter, got to know him a little bit at fairground. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always good to see Jared's name pop up on uh, one of my dad's horses when uh... – you know, sometimes when we don't race against Larry Ravelli, we get to we get to use Jareth on our horses. But um, but that's not what we're talking about this weekend. We've got five races on the card uh, tomorrow. We're recording Thursday evening, uh, so tomorrow at Keeneland it's the Juvenile Day, and then Saturday is the Older Horses Day. Um, I wanted to start here with the uh, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, which is one of two races on on the card where it's almost like just by the nature of the race itself you throw a dart and you're as likely to pick a winner as, as any other race. But um, one of the horses in here, Joe, is, is a, a story and, a, and a, a path you don't hear a lot about. That's Tyler's Tribe, an Iowa bred with a 20-year-old rookie jockey making it all the way to the Breeders' Cup. What, what do we know about this horse and what do we think about his chances? I know he's dominated every single race he's run in. Uh, he's never run on turf, but his uh, sire sharp Azteca was by Freud, and I don't put a lot of stock in pedigree when it comes to turf sprints. Horses either like it or they don't. I think 10 post is great for him. He's never been headed. He's been on the lead at every call. He doesn't know what state he was born in. <laughs> That's right. To one. You know, if you're going to have a rookie jockey, Brady, you might as well have a, a horse that has this kind of speed. It's tough for him to screw it up, right? Horse breaks, you know, go to the lead or sit just uh, on the outside of somebody else that's inside of you showing better speed 15 to one on the morning line. I, I'll, I'll admit this. And I said this to you off, uh, you know, the, the audio of the, of the podcast, these races that have a strong European influence are not the races that are going to take the vast majority of my bankroll. This is one of those. My opinions are not in depth. They're not strong, but uh, Tyler's tribe at 15 to one uh, certainly interests me. It would be great to see a horse like this win. And I'll just throw another note in there. Private Creed, the three. Uh, my brilliant racing group was one of the underbidders on him. We went up to 85000 at uh, the uh, Timonium sale. Unfortunately, went for one fifty-five. But taking a little bit of pride in the fact that we were in on this horse and uh, he's won three out of four. I don't know if he's fast enough to win, but kind of sort of rooting for him for obvious reasons. Well, he's got to win over the course and distance. So I think that that always plays a role. That's an angle that people love to play is – you know, horses for courses, and that'll come up several times as a bit of a theme here as we go through these races. So um, you mentioned the European horses, and, and every every time we talk about Breeders' Cup, Joe, it's, you know, the, especially on the grass, right? It's it's the, the European influence. Um, in these turf sprints, I think, you know, the general um, feeling is that European horses, just, uh, just by the way they race their style, they struggle, or not necessarily struggle, but they're slow out of the gate. And in a race like this, if you if you miss the break, you're kind of screwed, right? Well, this race has been run four times, and U.S. base horses have won all four. And uh, one guy who has no problem with his horses breaking out of the gate is Wesley Ward. Right. He's won the last three with Irad Ortiz. And uh, five of the 12 horses in the body of the field are European. So that, uh, that muddles things a little bit. Love reigns for Wesley Ward. She's okay. She's one of five fillies in the race. I don't think she's any slam dunk. Heard a lot of people talk about the Platinum uh, Queen, who has been successful over five furlongs overseas. And, uh, you know, she's got an outside draw, natural speed. A lot of people talking about her. But, uh, you know, I don't watch these horses race on a daily basis. So any opinion like that I'm going to give you is going to be second or third hand. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Um, moving on to the second the second Breeders' Cup race, I should say, on Friday. That is the Juvenile Phillies. Um, I've got this as a very wide open race with uh, a lot of horses that want to be on or near the front. Um, do we give Wonder Wheel maybe a bit of an edge with uh, a win over course and distance here? I'm a little bit against her. She she drew drew the rail in Alcibiades and she went wire to wire and she was all out to hold off Chop Chop, who's also in this field. And Chop Chop had a much more difficult trip that particular day. I, I, Brady, I'm kind of leaning towards the uh, the horses coming in from New York, the Frisette, Chocolate Gelato. I mean, she made a huge move uh, to to take the lead. Then she idled a little bit in the stretch. I think Irad's gonna wait a little bit longer and try to uh, run at a target a little bit later in the race. She's a seven to two lukewarm morning line favorite. Uh, and I think deservedly so. I think she's the one to beat. But uh, you can go price shopping and here. You're my girl who is second to chocolate gelato. She's got a great inside post with natural speed. I don't think she needs to be on the lead. Maybe she can sit the pocket. And then my bomber is uh, also exiting the Frisette. She's going to have a tough time working a trip from post 13, leave no trace. But she got off to an awkward start in that race. Uh, she rushed up. She lost the momentum on the turn, ran better than it looks. And her spin away and her maiden breaking victory were very visually impressive. So in and out of the first turn, you're going to know if you got a chance with leave no trace. But at 20 to 1 on the morning line, I'll take my chances. And a lot of these horses, Joe, these, these being juveniles, first time around two turns. Where, where does that come into play? Um, it comes into play for sure. I would prefer to have horses that have two-turn experience, but you got to get that two-turn experience at some point. And, you know, Wonder Wheel got it in the uh, the Alcibiades, as did a Chop Chop. A lot of very positive uh, reviews about how Chop Chop is training coming into this race. And, you know, she broke slowly at a claustrophobic trip. Uh, otherwise, she would have been a lot closer to the early pace, and she probably wins. So, I would say Chop Chop and Chocolate Gelato, the one-two morning line favorites, are the most likely winners. But uh, You're My Girl and then my big bomber, Leave No Trace, are the two that uh, I'll definitely be utilizing on my tickets. Two-turn experience means a lot, but price means more to me. Yeah, especially in, in big fields in, in the Breeders' Cup. You know, like, like I said at the, at the top here, you got a chance to, uh, to make some money with some racing luck. Uh, another turf race here in the juvenile Phillies turf. Um, do we have a lone speed alert in this race? Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think delight, you know, is that the one you're talking about? Um, let me see which one I had circled. Uh, delight was one of them. And then, uh, not G Lori, although I do like her. Forget There's exactly which horse I was thinking of. Here. I, didn't, I didn't overly, overly analyze the pace. I, I kind of just looked at who I thought were the best horses in here, but I, I would want to be more forwardly placed than too far out the back. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, Delight was the one I was thinking of there with, uh, with low and speed as, you know, we've seen, you know, races that get stolen on the front end all the time. So, but another one with European influence and, and we'll see how that one shakes out. Um, the juvenile cave rock is all the talk. Bob Baffert back in the spotlight here. Um, who's got the best chance for the upset here? Yeah. I mean, I, I just going back to that juvenile Phillies turf. I do like uh, the horse you, you touted their delight. I don't think she has to be on the lead, but I thought she ran awesome in the Jessamine. So that'll be a horse that I, I'm looking towards about, uh, 
you know, utilizing too much of my bankroll. I mean, Cave Rock was awesome. He, you know, he's not eligible for Kentucky Derby points because of who he's trained by. And that's an afterthought at this point so early, you know, in the game. Baffert's other horse, you know, at eight to one, there's been a lot of talk about him, Brady. I don't think you're going to get eight to one on him. But if you look at the past performances, he wore blinkers on debut and went gate to wire sprinting. They took the blinkers off. He was second best to Cave Rock. Now the blinkers go back on. He's going to be forward. I think he might be as good as his stable mate. I mean, Cave Rock looks better on paper, but National Treasure is going to be a lot better price. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, they, 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 they run the race for a reason, as they say, right? Um, you know, if Cave Rock stumbles or gets some bad racing luck, that could be one to, uh, to pay attention to. You mentioned the Kentucky Derby and, and how Cave Rock's not eligible for points. And I know you, you love the road to the Kentucky Derby. And uh, we've already had one very minor points race, right, with the Iroquois. Um, you know, the, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile still so far away from the first Saturday in May. But, um, you know, is this the best the two-year-old class has to offer? Or are we still yet to see that? It's, it's interesting because uh, there have been some years where the Breeders' Cup Juvenile has not been strong. This is a good addition to this race. So the two Bafferts are very good. The horses coming in from New York, Blazing Sevens, I think is legitimate. Verifying, I think is very legitimate. Forte, uh, who won the Breeders' Futurity, uh, more than legitimate as well. So I think uh, you're seeing most of the best of them. Uh, Loggins, who is a second in the Breeders' Futurity is not in this race, uh, but for the most part, you know, if we're talking with horses with uh, stakes experience, of the horses with stakes experience, you got most of the better ones in here. Any any opinion on Lost Ark? You, you take that last one and you look at the trouble line and, um, you know, his, his previous two before that, granted, you know, a listed stake at best, but um, pretty impressive record before that that last race where he ran into some trouble. Not too many jockeys better in the country than uh, Louis Saez, so I would never talk anybody off backing him, uh, particularly on a long shot with a horse like this, you know, in addition to being a price shot, who, as you mentioned, has a little bit of a uh, of an opportunity to, to pull an upset here because the horse was moving down the stretch and was bothered late, did have some trouble, dominated the first two uh, times out, and has a little bit of hidden form, Todd Pletch for the trainer. I mean, I don't know if he can win necessarily, but, you know, if you're playing exactus tries and supers, you know, I think you may have zeroed in on a, a, horse, a horse worth using here. Yeah. Um, rounding out the card on Friday evening, um, and it's, it's, always, it's always different, you know, Kentucky versus California, you know, when these races are going to end for us here. But uh, still early enough in the afternoon uh, on Friday for us here, at least in the central time zone. Uh, the Juvenile Turf, um, a name that Chicago racing fans are very familiar with. And uh, Wayne Catalano's got one in here, Joel Rosario aboard, and the winner is. I've, I've got her circled, uh, or him circled, I should say. Uh, what, what about his chances in this race? Yeah, he's got a good chance. I mean, people are going to look at the bourbon and, and talk about how visually impressive the race was. And it was, but, you know, the table was kind of set for this horse that day. The pace was super hot. It was an off the pace kind of flow uh, to the race. Get the dollar sign, Joel Rosario is a Flavian Pratt, has another mount. It's just tough for me to take a five to one uh, in this field. 
I don't know if you're old enough to remember Rob Murphy, the old uh, left-handed reliever for the uh, for the Cincinnati Reds, part of the Nasty Boys back in the day. But uh, he owns part of Battle of Normandy. Had a chance to talk to him the other night. They're super high on him. He's twenty to one in the morning line. You got a horse like Mo Stash who made a huge move in a turf sprint last out that I think will get better going longer. He's twenty to one. Uh, Web Slingers 20 to 1 off the win at Mammoth. There are so many horses in this race, Brady. I think 10, 15, 20 to 1 that have a legitimate chance. Uh, Aiden O'Brien, Ryan Moore, they have four wins in this race. They're 8 to 1. So this is one of the races on the card that could absolutely potentially blow up the Toad Ford. Yeah, should should be a fun Friday. Uh, the the juvenile Friday is always a fun one because you get to look to the future, right? You know, when we talk about some of these horses on Saturday, it's the last time we'll ever see them. Uh, but you know, on, on Friday when they when they're just when they're just babies, and um, you know, we start talking about the Derby, the Oaks, etc. Uh, it's pretty cool to be able to see these horses come back uh, after after their two year old season. Uh, let's move to uh, Saturday, Joe, and uh, we got a defending champion coming back uh, in the Philly and Mare Turf Sprint, Echo Zulu, back for more. Yeah, two-year-old champ last year. She won the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly. She ended her uh, career undefeated. Now she's going to take on older horses in the Philly and Mare Sprint, which is one of my favorite races of the day. There's a lot of speed in here. The defending champ from this race, uh, Cece, is involved in I don't really like her all that much, although she should get a great trip. A lot of people are going to be looking at uh, Goodnight Olive for Chad Brown, who's been an uh, unstoppable of late, winning five races in a row, including the Grade One Ballerina. But the horse I like best is the horse that uh, she beat last time, obligatory. One of the most fun horses to watch run currently in training because you know exactly what she's going to do. She's going to be out the bat. She's going to beg for a fast pace. She's going to come with that wide run on the turn, and she's going to hope to mow everybody down. And she's done that five times in her career. There's a lot of speed signed on here. Seven furlong suits her well. I think Bill Mott set up for a huge Breeders' Cup. He's only got one horse in on Friday, but he's got nine entries in on Saturday, some of which I like quite a bit. Obligatory is one of them. And the uh, training reports on Echo Zulu uh, lead me to believe that she might run the best race of her career. You mentioned her as a two-year-old Brady. She won the seven furlong dogwood at Churchill by five open lengths. If she can sit just off the early pace from the outside post, I think her chances will improve significantly. She's really good. This is a super fun race. To me, a sprint is six furlongs, but this race is carded for seven furlongs. Seven, seven furlongs is always such a weird distance for me. I can never seem to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of that uh, middle distance where it's not quite a mile, but it's uh, not nearly as sharp as six furlongs. And, you know, we've got a, a, a filly that's running against the boys in the Breeders' Cup Sprint uh, because it's a six furlong race. We'll get to that one a little bit later on. But, yeah, I mean, Echo Zulu's proven around two turns. So you want a horse that has sprint ability, but you also like to see a horse that maybe has a little bit of stamina as well. Should be a fun one uh, to get get things kicked off on Saturday. What uh, I hadn't looked at the undercard, Joe, for uh, for Saturday. What, uh, what what do we have to look forward to before Breeders' Cup action kicks off? I mean, there's only a couple races on the undercard Saturday. It's the Friday undercard that 
I'm really looking forward to. There's a lot of horses that have run at Churchill that have gotten an opportunity to see in some of these allowance races, undercard stakes, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, don't sleep on those undercard races on Friday. Uh, Saturday's mostly about championship day. There's a couple races to kick off the card. Uh, I'm not quite as interested in those as I am in the undercard races on Friday. Fair enough. Um, the fastest minute in change in all of sports, the Breeders' Cup turf sprint coming up as the second Breeders' Cup race on Saturday. Golden Pal won this race last year. He's back for more. He's another year older. Does that play a factor? I mean, not really. I mean, I think he should be better than he was last year, but I'm not sure that he is necessarily. He's looking for his third Breeders' Cup win. He won the Juvenile Turf Sprint at Keeneland in 2020. He won the uh, Turf Sprint last year as a three-year-old. Now he's a four-year-old. I wasn't overly impressed by the way he won the Woodford at Keeneland. You know, people can say, oh, he probably needed the race. He's going to be tighter. He might, man. I mean, he's the horse to beat. You know, a lot of people talking about uh, some of these European horses having an opportunity in this race. We did see a Euro win this race a couple of years ago at a good price in, in glass slippers. A Golden Pal, of course, winning it last year. I think Wesley Ward's other horse, the Philly Campanelle, has got a good chance. She ran that long six and a half furlongs at Keeneland last out. I think the cutback and distance is going to benefit her. And then the Euro that most people are talking about is Highfield Princess. She's won five of her last six. She likes firm going. Uh, she's extremely classy. A bunch of group one victories on a resume. 12-time winner overall. A classy, uh, speedy, uh, game five-year-old mare. Uh, so those are the few of the horses that uh, I think have a chance to beat Golden Pal, and I'm certainly going to try to beat them. You mentioned uh, that Highfield Princess likes firm going, and that's what we're likely to get, I think, unless surprise rainstorms pop up in Lexington. But, um, you know, what we know about European turf racing is they usually race with, you know, very soft ground. You know, a lot of times we would not be racing on the grass here in America, but, um, you know, we feel like that that works against European horses, right? Yeah, I mean, unless... It's a European horse that prefers the firm ground. You see a lot of the horses that do come over here from Europe. They're the ones that are like, oh, we're seeking out firm ground. Oh, we're seeking out Lasix. Obviously, no Lasix on Breeders' Cup Day anymore, uh, given the changes in the game in recent years. But uh, it's good to see a horse coming over from Europe that has, has proven form on a firm turf when you're going to have a firm turf, which is what we're going to have this weekend. If it were to rain, and you saw a European that had good form on off turf, off turf, you probably want to gravitate towards those horses. So, you know, fast, firm going on uh, Friday and Saturday, and you want horses that are proven over those conditions. You mentioned Bill Mott being set up for a big weekend. He's got Casa Creed in here. Um, shortening back to, um, you know, the, the five and a half furlong distance, um, you know, this horse's last two were at a mile, uh, still on the grass, but longer races. Um, what, what chance do you give Casa Creed shortening back here? I like him. I think he's got a shot. I mean, Luis Saez knows him well. You know, he ran well in the turf mile. He probably could have gone in the Breeders' Cup mile. This race maybe a little bit softer, should get an honest pace. He's won sprinting the before. I think the trip might be a little bit short for him, but uh, he's going to be rolling late. It's just a matter of what kind of trip he can get. 
We'll move ahead to one of the newer Breeders' Cup uh, iterations, the uh, Dirt Mile. It's always been the mile, but now we've had the Dirt Mile, what, for six or seven years now, I think, if I remember correctly? Give yeah, or take, it's yep. the race that make the most money on every year. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I just think it's a, a great handicapping uh, – it's 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 a great handicapping uh, exercise because you've got that in between distance. You've got horses cutting back. You've got horses stretching out. So you got to say to yourself, which horses are going to appreciate the mile the most? You know, it's that kind of in between distance. So, you know, I think uh, handicapping the races all year long and and trying to figure out who's best suited to that distance, given the way that you think the pace scenario is going to shake out. And I've uh, just had success doing that over the last several years. We mentioned, um, you know, some of these some of these favorites and, and a chance to to make some money here. Um, second choice in the morning uh, in the morning line in this race is Gunite. Um, race just two weeks ago, granted at Keeneland, so no travel involved. But just two weeks ago, you know, he won the race. But do we like his chances in the Breeders' Cup just two weeks later? Well, you talked about two-turn experience in the juvenile races, Brady. And, uh, you know, in those races, those horses are more at an, you know, on an equal playing field because a lot of them haven't done that before. Every horse in this race has two-turn experience except Gnight. It's, it's kind of strange that Steve has not stretched this out, horse out at all. But why try to fix what's not broken? He's won four of his last five. And if you think about it, this horse is going to remain in training next year. Steve's got plenty of time to, to, to tinker with this horse, so to speak. Giving him his first two-turn try in this race to kind of see what he can do. To me, he's one of the biggest wild cards on the entire Breeders' Cup weekend because you know he's good, but how does that form translate to two turns against this kind of field? Right. We've got, uh, we've got 11 horses in this field. And if I remember correctly, this will be an alternate finish with the, the start of the race at the start-finish line. Um, does that not necessarily disqualify, but you know, hamper some of these outer post horses who got to make a decision pretty early on in the race? Yeah, man. So the mile and a 16th race is start and end at the eighth pole, so it's a short stretch. This race has a longer stretch, but that shorter run, like you mentioned, into the first turn. So... That first turn is going to be absolutely critical, uh, like you said, uh, sorting themselves out. You got a horse that wants to go forward. You better go forward and try to get position and not get hung out to dry. If you got a horse that wants to come from a little bit further off the pace, don't worry as much about that first turn. Don't get hung out to dry. Maybe take back, tuck in, hope for a fast pace. I think that's uh, the strategy that you know our, our friend Junior Alvarado is going to have to try to employ on Cody's wish, I think uh, the one mile distance around two turns is perfect for him. He's going to have an honest pace to run at, you would think. You know, he beat Jackie's Warrior on the square in the Forego going seven furlongs uh, when Jackie's Warrior had things pretty much his own way on the front end. I think Cody's wish is really good. I think he's going to get the right trip. Unfortunately, he's five to two. So we'll do a little bit of price shopping as well, but uh, would like to see him win for a plethora of different reasons. Well, speaking of price shopping, you've got a couple horses in here who, um, you know, we know from the springtime in the Derby Trail and Cyberknife and uh, Simplification, right? So, um, you know, these horses are 
you know, you mentioned horses that have gone longer. They're, they're cutting back a little bit. Um, is, is the mile better suited for those horses who, you know, have more experience at the classic distances? I think it's better suited for both of them, uh, quite honestly. I, I think simplification is going to be a much better price. I think he's got an opportunity to get a great trip. I hope they just let him save ground on the rail, settle, and finish. Because when this horse is up closer to the pace, he doesn't finish. Kentucky Derby was far out the back. He ran fourth. The uh, Fountain of Youth, the best race of his career, he was far off the pace, and he won going away. Uh, just let him settle and finish, and uh, we'll see what happens. But at 15 to 1, I don't necessarily think he can win, but I'm going to be using him in the tries and the exactors. Philly and Mare Turf, we've got another lone speed alert potentially. Um, is this the race that I'm thinking of? Uh, yes, in Italian, the American uh, a horse with Joel Rosario uh, potentially, potentially loose and lonely on the lead here. <laughs> well, she's loose and lonely on the lead. You might as well just put her in the winner's circle. <laughs> I mean, she, she's really good. And I think the hope for some of the other contenders with her drawing post position, Number 11 is either A, she doesn't make the lead, or B, she has to go too fast and has to work too hard to get there. But I'll tell you what, if you look at the Diana, you know, going a mile and an eighth, she went 45 and four to the opening half mile. She had no business being there in the end, but she goes 145 flat for a mile and an eighth, which is absolutely ridiculous. And she gallops out in front. One of the best efforts of the entire year, in my opinion, by any horse um, this side of the pond. First Lady at Keeneland, she sharpens up to a mile. She goes gate to wire that day as well. She's never gone this far, Brady. Uh, again, how fast is she going to have to go? Is anyone on the inside going to challenge her? If she's able to clear the advantage early and relax on the lead, she's going to put on a show, I think. You mentioned um, galloping out in front, and if I look back to that race too, uh, the Diana you mentioned, um, the horse she beat uh, for second uh, that day came back to win. So you know that that makes it all the more impressive. Um, when when you say a horse galloping gallops out in front, you know for the the casual listener here who is celebrating by the time the horse has crossed the wire, what what does that mean? Yeah, I mean if you're ever gonna get serious about this game and you want to watch replays. You know, look for trouble in the race. Uh, you know, look for how horses might be aided or compromised by their trip and or the pace and or the flow of the race. But when the race is over, pay attention to how the horses gallop out. So after the finish line, they all gallop out into the next turn. And if a horse maxes themselves out to the finish line, but they still gallop out well, that's something you want to pay attention to. If a horse wins the race, but five horses gallop out in front of them, you know, that horse has been maxed. Uh, and on that particular day, that particular distance doesn't want to go any further. There are horses that run fifth in a particular race that might gallop out in front. You want to pay attention to that. Maybe that horse needs more ground the next time they run, particularly with the, uh, with the younger horses. It's not an end-all, be-all. It's just another tool that you can use. But when a horse goes wire to wire and they set that kind of a pace, you would think that horses that are closing, 
that she would be maxed out and somebody else would gallop out in front of her. It's just how the national progression of races work. But when you go that fast, you win and you still gallop out the way she did. That's what we call something special. Yeah, that's, that, and that's one of the things that I, I pay attention to the most while watching a race in progress. You know, whether I've bet a horse that's coming off the pace or, you know, I've, I've bet a, a horse that's likely to, or likely to go, uh, try to go wire to wire at least, is that, that first quarter, that first half mile, you know, what, what does that tell us for, for the rest of the race? Um, let's move ahead to the Breeders' Cup Sprint, another speed duel here, um, you know, not necessarily in the race itself, just by, by the nature of, of, of the, the six furlong distance here. Uh, Jackie's Warrior is back in the Breeders' Cup Sprint this year. Last year, he got a ton of pressure in the first part of that race and ended up what was it, fourth or fifth in that race. Um, this year, it looks like on paper, at least, he might be able to be more comfortable on the lead. Got a better post. Uh, last year, he was post position two. He took all the pressure uh, from the inside. Horses pressuring him to the outside. Catalana won it with Aloha West, who came from way off the pace at Del Mar. Jack Christopher, you know, didn't enter Brady. Uh, days before the race, Chad Brown said, not in the best interest of the horse or the betting public to enter Jack Christopher. That would have been a potentially great uh, early duel up front between those two. On paper, Jackie's Warrior is supposed to take this field gate to wire. A lot of the other contenders, at least on paper, look like more out-the-back closers. Now, you talked about the distance between difference between seven furlongs and six earlier. If you look at Kamari, she wants no part of seven furlongs. She's a mare against the boys, and she's going to take on males because the distance is six furlongs. She's won her last two going six furlongs. She's close enough to stay close, uh, fast enough to stay close to Jackie's Warrior. I'd give her a little bit of a shot, but I mentioned Bill Mott earlier, and I like Elite Power. Had a chance to follow this horse his entire career and watch the amazing progression that he's made from uh, age three to age four. One four in a row by open lengths. You know, a mile, seven furlongs, six furlongs, probably, I mean, could have gone in the dirt mile and would have been a major player in there. Bill Mott likes to keep him in here. And he's six to one on the morning line. He might be a higher price than that. Maybe people have been watching him as closely as I have, but I think this is a superstar in the making. Uh, Bill Mott's really taking his time bringing this horse along only one graded stakes on the resume, but he won that by almost six lengths. So that would be my alternative to Jackie's warrior. If I'm using three in here, I'm throwing in Kamari, but uh, for the most part, Jackie's warrior and elite power for me. You think the Ortiz brother factor will, will drive the odds down on that one a little bit? Maybe. I mean, right now I rat is riding lights out. Jose, not so much. So I would say right now it's more the Irad factor than the Ortiz brother factor, which we've seen, you know, a lot in recent years. You got a good point there. Maybe uh, with Irad aboard, maybe that price does stay in that six to one range. Maybe even, you know, I hate to say it, maybe even a little <laughs> bit less. But uh, yeah, you might be onto something there. We uh, we love getting higher odds than we should as as horse players, and you know sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, there's there's one of these races coming up here where I've got a note for two Godolphin underlays. Is it this race coming up here that I've 
It's the uh, the Breeders' Cup mile is the one I've got up next here. Um, domestic spending, I wanted to bring this one up. Um, he hasn't raced since the the final edition of the, well, I'll still call it the Arlington Million, but back in, in 2021, uh, they called it the Mr. D Stakes that day. And he hasn't been on the track since then. And now he's in the Breeders' Cup? I mean, if Chad Brown wants to just add to his legend, the way to do it is to win a race like this with a horse like this. I mean, he hasn't run, like you said, in over a year. Michael Dickinson, uh, the mad scientist that he won, pulled off a similar trick with the, the Hoss many years ago. If anyone could do it, it's Chad. He's tremendous at bringing horses back off of layoffs. You know, would he have preferred to have a prep for this horse? Maybe but probably not. I think he's going to fire a huge shot. Uh, Pratt has uh, ridden him several times in the past. He could have been lured a plethora of different directions. He lands here. I think it would be awesome to see domestic spending win. Yeah, I, I guess a little bit of a local connection too. You know, you always like to see the, uh, the horses that run at your home track do well. So um, even though he's not based in Chicago at all, but, uh, you know, um, one of the ones that, that caught my eye here is, uh, let me flip to it. There's lots of pages in this race. Uh, Modern Games uh, with William Buick, uh, Charlie Appleby. Um, we've got a couple of form lines to take a look at. Uh, you know, with these European horses, you know, anybody who's played races before, you know, knows that there's not a ton of information available in our form when we take a look at these European horses. But a race at Woodbine and then last year's uh, Juvenile Turf, um, both of those winners for Modern Games uh, and that, that race at Woodbine in September, very impressive. I wonder, though, Joe, he went back to uh, uh, Britain to, uh, to race again before coming back to the States. Is that, that's a lot of travel for, for anybody, let alone an, an elite equine athlete. Yeah, I just, I just think this horse probably handles it well. I mean, he went from Newmarket to Delmar to Longchamp. He uh, went from Goodwood to Woodbine back to Ascot. He's a monster. I mean, there's no question about it. Ivar is one of the main contenders in this race on paper and he chewed him up and spit him out. Like you mentioned at Woodbine, he's the horse to beat here. Uh, I don't think there's much question of that, but there's just so many other ways you can go. Uh, Charlie Appleby, you know, he's been a good trainer for a long time for Godolphin, but really, really is taking his personal training game to a new level the last couple of years. Uh, don't use modern games at your own peril. Fair enough. Yeah. Warning heated. Absolutely. Um, the Breeders' Cup Distaff used to be called the Ladies' Classic. Before that, it was the Distaff. Now it's back to being called the Distaff. Um, a lot of excellent, excellent fillies and mares in this race. Um, one of the only, I think there's only a handful of odds-on favorites uh, in this. She, she's actually not even odds-on. I take that back. Uh, Nest at 9-5 to five in the morning line. Uh, is she the only? No, she's not the only three-year-old in this race, but taking out older mares. Uh, she's just been uh, absolutely amazing this summer. Yeah, she's really good. I mean, this is a really fun race. Uh, you got her stable mate, Malathoth, the winner of the Kentucky Oaks last year. Secret Oath, the winner of the Kentucky Oaks this year. Uh, Society, who's been dominant in her last couple of races, she's going to probably be the one to catch. Clarier, who on her best day might be better than all of these horses. You know, her form was darkened by the personal ensign, but you can throw that race right out the window. She was super fractious in the gate, hit her head on the gate. You could tell 
20 strides into the race that she wasn't going to run her race that day. And she's beaten Malathot, you know, two races in a row previous to that. So she's a bounce back, uh, bounce back candidate. I know she's taken on older here and I know she took on older in the Bell Damon beat absolutely nothing in what was a public workout. But I think Ness is the horse to beat. They haven't gotten to the bottom of her. She was my Kentucky Oaks pick. She ran second with a better trip than Secret Oaths. She would have beat her. She was second against the boys in the Belmont. And she's been absolutely dominant in three races since. Should get the right trip from a great post position. You know, at a lot of my tickets, Brady, I'm really seriously considering singling her. There are other horses who can win this race, but uh, I think she's the most likely by far. In this last pick three here, are, are, are they doing rolling pick threes at, at Keeneland this weekend? Uh, they're doing a lot of everything. I mean, yeah, there's a pick three, pick three that starts here, pick fours, pick fives. There's a daily double, juvenile on Friday, into the classic on Saturday, juvenile fillies uh, into the distaff. You know, it's, it's like when you go in a restaurant, you look at a menu, and there's too many good things to order. <laughs> right. You, know, you got to pick something at some point and decide where to spend your money. Uh, the reason I ask is because you you could have uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself too much here, but you could have two singles in races nine and eleven uh, with Nest and Flightline, and then get really deep in the turf and hope for hope for a bomber to to mess things up for everybody else, right? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, you you play these pick fives on Breeders' Cup Day, and a lot of people are inclined to spread deep in a lot of these races. And sometimes, you know, you got to have money to make money. This is one of these days, Brady, where if you go into it, you don't have a huge monstrous bankroll, but you've got some strong opinions, single nest, single flight line, single Malifat, single epicenter, you know, come up with a horse or two that you really like and don't be afraid to single them. Go deeper in the other races. You can put together a $36 ticket they could pay six, eight hundred, a thousand. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. So it puts the guy who doesn't have that massive bankroll in the game in some of these uh, pick fours and pick fives, particularly this last one on Saturday. You mentioned um, like uh, just gambling in general on the Breeders' Cup. I, I love the Breeders' Cup, and sometimes I hate the Breeders' Cup because I mean it's it's so impossible to handicap some of these races and predict what's going to happen uh, on the track, but it's also a celebration of, of one of our favorite sports. So, um, you know, I, I get both sides of that. Um, last two races on the card here, Joe, we've got the Breeders' Cup turf and then the Breeders' Cup classic to talk about. And uh, in the turf, you know, this is traditionally one where the Europeans dominate. You know, they, they, get, um, they get the longer trips, you know, overseas. They, they run a lot of mile-and-a-half races, and that's where this one is. Um, I think there might be a couple of... Um, I don't know if rare is the right word, but a couple of good dolphin underlays in here. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, the three to one morning line favorite here is one of those. And I'm guessing, you know, Rebels Romance is one of the ones you're talking about potentially being an underlay. I, I can't see this horse being the favorite. It's one four in a row, but two of those were group ones in Germany. Right. Where the quality is just not even close to what you see in France, Great Britain, even here in the U.S. This is a horse that won the UAE Derby a couple of years ago and then all of a sudden became a turf marathoner. So 
I'm, I'm guessing you're alluding to that one, and I would yeah. agree 100. percent A tremendous underlay if he's three to one. I just don't think he's going to be that price. Should be an interesting race. Um, you know, Mishriff and Broom. Broom was the runner-up last year in this race. Both those horses are coming off really rough showings in the Arc de Triomphe, and you know, I don't, I don't know how much you read into that race, Joe. It's obviously a different scenario. It looked like it was pouring that day. We're going to get much different conditions on Saturday in Lexington. This horse was hating life that day. <laughs> I, I can hold that against him. I mean, this is a true class horse. 0 for 6 this year, but, you know, he's running in the Judmont International against Baid. You know, if you want to compare a, a dirt horse like Flightline to the best turf horse in the world, it's him. And... This is not a very strong addition to the Breeders' Cup turf. Uh, I would not be surprised to see John Gosden and Frankie Dettori win this race with a mischief. I think it's his last race of his career. So he's one I like. Warlike Goddess for Mott, the mare against the boys. Uh, she's been tremendous. I think she is going to run her race, and it might be good enough. The bomb I like, and I'm not sure he can win but a horse that you can use in your tries, supers, et cetera, is a 10 red knight. Won two races in a row and then was eighth last out, but he had a terrible trip at Keeneland in the Sycamore, checked very hard on the first turn, broke slowly, was nine wide on the, on the turn for home, only got beat a length and a half. His, his form has been darkened. He beat Gufo in the Turf Cup at Kentucky Downs. At 20 to one, this is a horse that I'm gonna be using. Like I said, don't know if he can win it, but uh, his form is better than it looked. At eight years old, coming back uh, two weeks later, three weeks, I will give him three weeks. Um, but, you know, mile and a half at Keeneland, again, no travel. That would be one to definitely take a look at. All right, Joe, it is time. We have made it to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, before we break down the race a little bit, um, I wanted to get your perspective on just what flight line is in the grand scheme of things. We'll find out Saturday. <laughs> I mean, he's, look at the field he's got to face. I mean, look at this race. It's one of those races, Brady, where you hope 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you look back at the chart and you're like, man, this is one of the greatest Breeders' Cup classics in history. You've got five major stallions coming out of this race. Um, older horses are good. The three-year-olds are good. Flight line might be better than good. I mean, he might be a generational talent, might be one of the best horses we've ever seen. He certainly didn't do anything to dismiss that notion when he won the Pacific Classic. You know, mile and a quarter, uh, yeah, no problem, right? I mean, he he won that race uh, like it was a public workout going five furlongs. Uh, but... Look at who he beat. I mean, Country Grammar won the Dubai World Cup, right? But not nearly the same horse. Happy Sabres on the resume and the Met Mile, Speaker's Corner, good horses. But this is a really good, legitimate, grade one plus race. And life is good is going to take it to him early. Epicenter and others are going to take it to him late. Olympiad's going to take it to him in the middle. Might win by 10. <laughs> if he does, I mean, as a racing fan, I'd be more than fine with that to see a superstar like this. 
But uh, I love Epicenter. I've watched him mature all winter at fairgrounds. Should have won the Kentucky Derby. Leading candidate for a three-year-old Eclipse Award winner off of uh, his last couple of races at Travers was tremendous. And this is a horse earlier in his career, Brady, that had to be forward. Now he can just sit and make his move in the stretch, which I think that style with an expected fast pace in this race is going to benefit him. He's got to run faster to, to catch flight line. But, uh, you know, I'm rooting for this horse as much with my heart as I am with my head. As a fan, I'm just looking forward to hopefully this race is all we expected to and, and more. Yeah, I think back to the the classic in, in 2015 when American Pharaoh won it. And I remember not even betting the race. I just said, I'm going to watch and appreciate what we have because the last time that was the last time we were going to see him on the track. And I'm way too young for Secretariat. But, I mean, Flightline's drawing a lot of, um, you know, Secretariat kind of comparisons. I don't know if that's recency bias or hyperbole. Um, what, do you, what do you think about those comparisons? I mean... I'm older than you, Brady, but I'm not old enough to remember <laughs> Secretariat either, right? You just see those grainy videos and, uh, you know, you look at the times and, you know, Secretariat lost several races in his career. So, you know, you don't get the seahorses like that these days because, you know, they, they, they run five, ten times and they're in the breeding shed. Justify, authentic, you know, the list goes on and on and on. But uh, we'll see. I mean... He's facing one of the best Breeders' Cup Classic fields in recent memory. If he dominates this field, he's in rarefied air for sure. I just hope everybody gets a fair trip. I hope this race lives up to the billing. I can't see any scenario where it doesn't, whether Flightline wins or he doesn't win. Somebody beats him and some of the other rest of the, some of the other horses in this field, they're going to have to earn it, and they're going to have to run really well and really fast. I haven't seen whether or not Flightline's going to race at four, whether it's the Pegasus or, you know, Dubai World Cup or Saudi Cup. Um, have they have they made a commitment yet one way or the other? I don't know. Um, I think everybody's kind of just sort of waiting. I think uh, the, the gentleman that owns the majority of this horse is not involved in the breeding game, and he is in charge of making the decisions. So even if the other partners want to send him the stud, it's not their decision. And Aronis is that he's a gamesman. So we'll see, you know, a horse like this who's only run, what, five times in his life, right? Five times, four times. How many times did he run? Five? I think he's five for five, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, they've talked about him having some, some, some issues with his feet. Uh, probably has some others, maybe some soundness issues. He's by Tappet, uh, one of the greatest stallions of our generation. And you would think that he would make a super stallion and that they're going to charge a lot of money per pop. But we'll see. I think everyone just kind of wants to see what he does here and leaves those decisions for uh, sometime down the road. Yeah, and, and he's a horse that came on later too, right? He was never part of the Kentucky Derby Trail. And uh, so he doesn't necessarily have the the classics behind him. but. I think reputation precedes him and, and will continue to precede him uh, on down the road. Um, all right, so we've covered all 14 races. I want your best bet and then a really live long shot that we can play. 
Uh, I'm going to go to Bill Mott with, uh, well, I don't know, Lee Power 6-1. to one, That's probably not live enough for you. I mean, I'm going to go to Obligatory as my best bet. As far as a really live long shot to play, I mean, I've talked about a few of them over the course of this, and I haven't really thought about that uh, too hard. Um, trying to think of maybe somebody that I could go with that would be, I mean, domestic spendings, eight to one. It's tough to rely on him as my long shot play of the entire Breeders' Cup, but uh, obviously he's going to be a price. Talked about elite power. He's six to one. That price isn't going to be long enough. Uh, some of the races with the Euros, I just don't have a strong enough opinion on those. Uh, you've 15 to one on simplification. I don't necessarily think he can win. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to punt on that one. I mean, I guess I'm just going to say, you know, elite power, maybe we'll get more than six to one uh, on a horse like that. But I don't have any big, big bombs uh, that I remember. And my brain is mush after everything <laughs> that's been going on the last week. So listen back to the podcast. I'm sure I threw a few live long shots in there somewhere. There, there's been a couple of 20 to ones that, that we've talked about. So uh, definitely uh, going to be a lot of fun to watch what unfolds on the track this weekend at Keeneland. As I mentioned All right, earlier, on, Brady, I got it. Uh, go I'll for tell it. You, it's the juvenile Phillies and it's 20 to one. Uh, you, you brought my brain back to life there. <laughs> the 13 post leave no trace. Got to get in and out of that first turn. She's 20 to 1 in the juvenile Phillies. Play a double, leave no trace with uh with Nest. Pay a hundred bucks. Hopefully the easiest hundred bucks of our weekend. <laughs> well, it'll be more than a hundred bucks if, uh, if that comes that, in. Yeah, that's that's true. All right, man. Well, again, we appreciate you doing this. You know, obviously Derby Week and, and Breeders' Cup is a super busy time. Uh, for you being in the game, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I know you, you mentioned uh, to me before that uh, you know you're not involved at all this weekend. You get to just be a fan. Yeah, I mean, I could go to Breeders' Cup and socialize and battle the crowds and see Flightline win live. But man, I'm looking forward to just kicking back on my couch and concentrating on the wagering, hanging out with my cat Friday hanging out with my girl Saturday and just, you know, really, really focusing on the races. I've been to a bunch of Breeders' Cups. I've been to a lot of derbies, been to three Dubai World Cups, et cetera, et cetera. Made a lot of great memories in this game, and we'll make some more great memories moving forward. But even though it's right down the road, uh, my couch is a lot closer to my bedroom. <laughs> and also, you know, when, when you're working, you don't get to enjoy a beverage or two. Is there a, a drink of choice you've got for the weekend? On Saturday, we're going to do some uh, high-level mimosas, I Ooh, think. Ooh, there you I go. Mean, okay. Normally, you know me, I'm an IPA guy, but we're going to get started early on Saturday morning. We race on Sunday, so i got to kind of cut myself off at a certain point, but Certainly going to enjoy it, and uh, hopefully uh, some, some toast with some victories uh, at the windows. Good deal, man. Well, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, we'll enjoy uh, the racing, whatever happens. You know, it's, it's money well spent, right? It's just we're paying for entertainment. That's what I always tell myself anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. And You said it earlier. This is a big day as a racing fan. We feel like we need to participate. 
I have as much fun betting the third race on a Wednesday at Churchill as I do the Breeders' Cup if I have a strong opinion. You know what I mean? So this is a day to bet. This is a day to take advantage of opportunities. Play on Twin Spires. I've got a great bet back promotion. If you bet a horse to win and they run second or third, you get up to $10 back. You know, sometimes that can be frustrating. Get a little bit of money back in your account. Make sure you opt into that. Pick your spots and, you know, enjoy it for the spectacle that it is. The distaff is tremendous and the classic could be one for the ages. So uh, some memories to be made. Uh, even better memories when we cash pick tickets. Love it. All right, Joe, we'll let you get back to your Thursday evening here. Again, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll be talking soon, my man. Yeah, always a pleasure, man. Uh, take care, Brady. Great job.